have your Bible tonight, I'd ask you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It's tonight I want us to go back to the original series that we began considering. We first came together. That is the theme of love. I can't think of any other place that's more appropriate for us to consider this than here in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. And as we do, I, I hope that you have seen, even when we went through the series on love in the sense of love for Christ, a love for His Word, a love for one another, a love for the lost, how critical love is in our life, how critical love is in our church. And we've talked a lot about love, how important it is. And so, beginning tonight, I want us to begin to define it according to God's Word. About what the definition of love is here from the pen of the Apostle Paul. Where he tells us in describing what love is, he gives it to us in parts. Things that we are to do and things that we are not to do. In love. And we're going to take some time to look at each of these parts very carefully together. But before we do that, it's important to keep what Paul is saying here in its context. And you'll see why it was so important, so critical to the health of the church there at Corinth, and it's critical to our health as well, your own personal health and your spiritual life and the spiritual life of our church. Really, you need to start back in verse 31 of chapter 12 where he says there, but earnestly desire the greater gifts. Now, what gifts is he talking about here? Well, if you go back to the first verse of chapter 12, you'll find out that he's talking about spiritual gifts. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. And so he comes to the end of chapter 12 where he's been talking about the use of spiritual gifts and he makes that statement there in verse 31 where he says, but earnestly, with urgency, desire the greater gifts, and I show you, he noticed what he says, a still more excellent way. A still more excellent way. At his conclusion, Paul wants them to see, and for us to see even here tonight, that the more excellent way of doing things in the church, whether it's serving in the church, speaking in the church, just using your spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. And that the more excellent way is if there is love. And he does this in the most interesting way that he brings to light for them, he presents to them really the most extreme hypothetical situation that could really occur or that really could never occur. It could never really be true for someone. But he's doing this in such a way to emphasize how important it is to walk in the excellent way, which is love, as you use your spiritual gifts here in the body of Christ. 
He does it first by looking at the speaking gifts there in verses 1 of 2 in chapter 13. Where he says, if I speak in everything in chapters 1, I mean in verse 1 and in verse 2, have to do with some type of speaking gift, a spiritual speaking gift. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. Notice what he's saying there. He's saying, even if I had, even if a person like me had the ability to speak with the tongues of men, that is, even if I had the ability to speak every single known foreign language in all the world, if I had the ability to speak the tongues, the languages of all mankind, of all the different languages, if I had the ability to speak the the languages of, of angels, but I still didn't have love. It would just be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the ability to speak forth prophecy, divine revelation from God that I come to understand from all the mysteries and all the knowledge and a faith and believing in what I'm saying, this prophecy coming from God, even if I had this wonderful, amazing ability to do all this, and notice, again, he's speaking hypothetically here, that I have all mystery. I know all the mysteries. Mysteries. I have all the knowledge. No one knows all the mysteries. No one can know all of the knowledge and have all of the knowledge and all of the prophecy and have all faith so as to remove mountains. He's saying there, you can have all these things, but if you don't have love, you still don't really have anything. By application, beloved, for us today, we can have the best teachers, the best theologians in our church the best thinkers, the best communicators. But if we don't have love, Paul is saying here, God is saying to us, then we still have nothing. Notice you look down in verse verse 3. He moves from the hypothetical, most extreme situations from speaking gifts to serving gifts. Where he says, if I give, and notice again, if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Again, just using that as a reference point for the the serving gifts in the body of Christ and by application again for us is this, is that we can be the most active, most helpful, most serving church. But if there is no love, he's saying, then really in the end it comes down to being nothing. He's, He's wanting them to see the more excellent way is that you You desire these greater gifts. You desire these wonderful gifts to be manifested here. But the only way it's going to happen in the most excellent way is if it is accompanied and driven by love, a love for Christ and a love for one another. So let's get down to verse 4. Love. What is love? Well, just the word itself there is the word for agape, agape love. 
that speaks of someone that is willing to sacrifice for the sake of someone else. And clearly, the greatest example of this is the love of God in Christ, where He sacrificed Himself for us. He laid down His life for us. He went to the cross for our sins. This is what God has done in the love of God. But notice, just read with me, just follow along. He says, love is patient, love is kind, and is not jealous. Love does not brag, it is not arrogant, does not act unbecomingly, it does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. In the first part of verse 8 he says, and love never fails. I hope as we read through those that you notice that in his description of love, It's all verbs. They're actions. Things we are to do and things that we are not to do as we show love towards one another. So tonight I want us to take a moment and consider the first part he gives to us where he says, love is patient. Patient. That word itself speaks of a person's temperament. They're being willing to accept injury without a desire for revenge. Someone who is slow to anger. And it typically is used when we're speaking about being patient with other people. That we are slow to anger and we're willing to even accept some offense. We're willing to accept some injury, some harm that will go our way and not wanting to respond in some type of revenge. Towards them. As we consider this idea of patience, I want us to think of it in a few ways. First, I want us just to think about it from perspective of God's patience with mankind. Is not God patient with man? Are we not thankful for that? When we look over and we see in the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, Paul says, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience? Talking about God's patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance. Beloved, it is God's patience with mankind about his sinful stubbornness that should actually lead him to repentance. Or as I think about what it says even over in the book of 2 Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9, a verse I'm sure you're, you're familiar with, where we've been talking about the, the coming of Christ, the Lord's coming. And he says in verse 9, The Lord's not slow about His promise, about His promise of coming, knowing that when that coming happens, it's going to bring about judgment and destruction on the ungodly man. But he's not slow about it, as some count slowness, but he's patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the Lord God is patient. You can look back at the patience of God with mankind back in the book of Genesis when it came to the flood, 
where it talks about that the Spirit of God was striving with man, striving with him, and yet man was rejecting him and rejecting God and rejecting that striving that, that God was issuing out towards him. And God was patient with them, patient and patient, and he had Noah there, a preacher of righteousness, giving them an opportunity to repent and turn from their sins. So we think about God's patience with man. How about just God's patience with us personally in regards to salvation? We see an example of that in the life of the Apostle Paul. Listen to what Paul says over in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. He says, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service even though I was formerly a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief and the grace of our Lord was more than abundant with faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners among whom I am foremost of all. Yet for this reason I found mercy so that in me as the foremost Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. Think about, we talked about this a little bit on Wednesday night at our Thanksgiving service there in the fellowship hall when we were thinking about what are some things we should be patient, we should be thankful for. We should be thankful for God's patience towards us. That God was patient towards me because I lived over 20 something years of my life in rebellion against him, in rejection of him, turning from him, wanting to go my own way, do my own thing. But God was lovingly patient with me even though I had heard the gospel time and time and time and time again. And I'm sure you can testify to that. I don't know when it was you came to know Christ, but you know that you went through years and times in your life before you knew Christ, though you had heard the gospel on way more than one occasion. And God was patient with you, striving with you, coming to you. We can be thankful for God's patience. But I want to paint these pictures in your mind, beloved, as we're thinking about what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. It's patient. We see God's love in his patience with mankind. You've seen God's love in his patience with you and bringing you to Christ. You see God's love in the Lord Jesus himself. The patience that he had with his apostles. You go back and you read, we've talked about this a little bit at different times, but you read through the, through the Gospels, all four Gospels, and you see that they had a hard time understanding everything Jesus was teaching. Because what they had been taught, what they had grown up with, was so ingrained in them that sometimes when he was trying to present truth to them, they just couldn't see it. They couldn't see all of what he was trying to tell them and what he was trying to help them to understand even from the word of God. And so at times we see he would wait 
and he would be patient with them. He knew they weren't ready to hear all of what he needed to say. In fact, he even told them that as he was getting ready to go to the cross and he's talking with them and he's meeting with them and he he lets them know that you're going to need the Spirit of God to come and to help you and to teach you because you can't understand everything. You can't understand and accept everything of what it is that you need to understand about what God is doing. And Jesus' patience with them. We see that loving patience he had with those twelve. So we see God's patience with man, God's patience with you personally, Jesus' patience with his apostles. But let me also say this. Let's think about our patience and what the Bible teaches in regards to patience with one another. I mean, first off, we know that patience is actually a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22 The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. It is something that happens when we're, as we're full of the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit of God and not by the flesh. When we're walking by the Spirit. But just look at some verses here that speak about patience in the body of Christ. First off, if you will turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6 for a moment. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, Paul is talking here about his ministry to them and with them and for them. And that in verse 3, he wanted to give no cause for offense in anything so that the ministry will not be discredited, but in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God. So Paul is saying here, here is how we are to commend ourselves as servants of God to others. And notice this list. In much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love. Brother, this is how we are to be that letter of commendation to other people that they see in our life and they experience from us patience. A patience with them. A patience with one another. If you will, look over in the book of Ephesians now for a moment. Go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. In the opening verse, Paul is talking about walking worthy in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. How do we do that? How do I walk worthy of the salvation God has issued to me? Verse 2, by walking with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. How do we walk worthy of our salvation? 
of God calling us to himself. How do we walk worthy of that? Well, one of the ways is by walking with patience towards one another, having tolerance for one another, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Look over in the book of Colossians for just a moment. Go over to Colossians chapter 3. Begin reading, follow along with me, beginning in verse 12. He says, so as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, here are some things you need to put on. Put on a heart of compassion. Put on kindness. Put on humility. Put on gentleness. And put on patience. Bearing with one another and forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Put it on. Put on patience. And when you tie that all together, here's what you can understand. When there's no patience, there will be no love. And when there's no patience and no love, there will be no unity. You you can't maintain unity in any kind of relationships, beloved, if there is no patience. Because if there's no patience, that's showing a lack of love at that moment and on those occasions. And when there's no patience and no love, there's going to be no unity. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look over in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Look at the very last part of verse 13. Live in peace with one another. Again, this is talking about within the body of Christ. Primarily talking about here within the body of Christ there, the church of Thessalonica. The local church of Thessalonica. And he says, live at peace, live in peace with one another. Verse 14, we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and notice how he sums it all up. Be patient with everyone. It doesn't matter if it's someone who's a part of the unruly, if it's someone who's a part of the faint-hearted, someone who's a part of the weak. As you're helping the weak and as you're encouraging the faint-hearted, as you're having to admonish the unruly, be patient with everyone. Live in peace with one another. Again, no patience, no peace. No patience, No unity, no patience, there's no love. Patient with everyone, no matter who you're dealing with, there needs to be patience, patience, patience. But that doesn't, the Bible doesn't just teach it among fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It even teaches, the Bible even teaches me as a pastor, I'm to be patient. I'm to be patient even as I have to teach or sometimes if I have to correct or whatever it may be. Just see that for a moment. 
turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 2. We'll pick it up in verse 22. He's writing to Timothy and he says, Flee from youthful lust. Pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart, but refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. Verse 24, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, and notice what he says, patient when wrong. With gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil having been held captive by him to do his will. Here in the context of what Paul is saying is that even when a pastor or even two brothers or sisters in Christ, when there's a disagreement He's still saying, don't be quarrelsome about it, but be kind to all, be able to teach, and be just be patient. Even when you're wrong, he's saying, be patient. And in that patience, correct them with gentleness. Look over in chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. I solemnly charge you, he says in verse 1, and the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Verse 2, preach the word. Now here's a problem I see far too often with young men, young men in the pastorate. And I, I can say, I'm sure at times I've been guilty of this myself, but young men in the pastorate, maybe just coming out of school, coming out of seminary and, and getting into their church and, and wanting to come in there, and it's like they just want to read the first part of the verse. Preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. That is, when it's a popular and when it's unpopular. Just preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. But finish the verse. You do all of this with great patience and instruction. You know the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They are going to want to have their ears tickled and they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and they're going to turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside the myths. But you just be sober. Endure the hardship. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. And a part of fulfilling your ministry is to be patient, to preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort, but do it all with great, I mean extreme patience. You do it with patience. Actually, it's interesting over in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 3, in verse 5, Paul said, he's praying. And he says, May the Lord direct your hearts in the love of God and into the steadfastness, the patience of Christ. Praying for us to have the patience of Christ. 
Well, but I hope that will be something that you will pray about. I think about what he says over in Colossians chapter 1. Where he's saying in verse 9, Since the day we heard of your faith, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Beloved, again, we're back to walking worthy of our calling, worthy of the gospel, worthy of the salvation. If To do that, beloved, we have to walk and live our lives in patience with one another. So how can I, how can you and how can I, how can we help to put on patience? We saw over in the book of Colossians, we were told, as a child of God who's been saved by God's grace, that we're to put on patience. Now, we also saw, and again, here's that tension that we see. We also saw this, the fruit of the Spirit. It's something the Spirit of God has to produce in our life, but it's also something you are required and responsible to do. You are responsible to put on patience. So how is it I can put on patience? Well, let me give you four things to remember that I hope will help you to put on patience. Number one, remember God's sovereignty. Remember God's sovereignty. Here's why that's so important for us to have patience with other people. Because when you recognize God's sovereignty and you remember it, when someone says or does something to you that is offensive, that may even be somewhat injurious, may even be hurtful, that whatever it is they said, whatever it is that they did, God was in control. God was over that. I'm not saying God caused that, but I'm saying God knew that was going to happen. God is sovereign over all things that happen and happen in our life. So just remember, God is sovereign. But secondly, remember your own sanctification. Remember your own sanctification. That is, you want people to be patient with you because though you're saved, you're still a sinner. And because you're still a sinner, you're still going to sin. That means you're still going to do something at some times in your life that's going to be sinful and offensive and injurious towards other people. It could be your husband, your wife, your children, your mother, your daddy, or your brother or sisters here in Christ, even here in this church. You will do things that will be against other people. You will offend people. And as you do that, just remember Jesus' patience with his apostles. His patience with you. And if you struggle with that, just think about it this way. When you think about, and when you're remembering your own sanctification, just remember this. Every single one of us sins and offends God every day. 
And yet God shows us patience. He shows us kindness. That doesn't mean God doesn't discipline us, even as his children, he does. But God is patient. So when you struggle sometimes with patience, just remember, maybe that old song, God's still working on me. God's still working on you. So you want to show patience towards others because you remember your own sanctification. But thirdly, remember other people's sanctification. God's still working on them. They're not perfect and they're not going to be perfect in this life. We saw that from Philippians chapter 1. The good work that God began in your heart and in the heart and the life of that person on the inside of them, he's going to continue that work until the day of Christ. So we know that no one's going to reach sinlessness in this life, which means every single one of us is going to sin. Somebody else is going to sin against you. It's just going to happen. Because they're still being conformed into the image of Christ. So just remember their sanctification as well. They're saved, but they're a sinner just like you and just like me. And they'll mess up. But finally, as I said maybe a moment ago, just remember God's patience for their salvation. And this is when maybe sometimes you're offended by someone who is an unbeliever. And just remember God's patience for their salvation. It doesn't mean we don't stand for the truth. I'm not, I'm not saying that in any way. But maybe sometimes the person that causes us the harm is an unbeliever. And just again, just remember, that means every single moment at every single day, their life is an offense to God. Their life is an offense to Him, a holy God. And yet God is patient. You want to see them coming to Christ. And sometimes we just need to be mindful of that. And it's hard. Look, I don't have patience down. If you, if you, if you want to have, uh, understand that, you can ask my, my wife, you can ask my kids. I, I don't have patience down. I, I can't say that I always walk worthy of the gospel and I'm always living in patience. And that's why I'm thankful God's patient with me. But now I would say this again, Beloved. That one day God's patience will come to an end. And if you've never come to Christ, if you die without Christ, that patience has come to an end. If you die without Christ, that opportunity is over. I look back again with the story of Noah, the true story of Noah, God's patience came to an end for the whole world except for eight people. And they found grace and favor in the eyes of God. It wasn't because the, the rest of the world didn't know about God. They did. They just chose to rebel against God. And God showed them patience, 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 
patience and they just kept stiff arming him time and time and time again and going their own way. And then the rain started coming and it was too late. Don't let that happen to you if you happen to be here tonight and you don't know Christ. I pray you will come to him. You'll call to him, seek him for your salvation. I want to ask you to bow your heads in prayer.